Welcome to Collective Brew, where we take an amateur look at craft beer brewing. We may not know a lot about craft beer, but we know we like to drink it. Join us on our journey to learn more about the craft beer making process from different microbreweries and home brewers alike. Then listen as we subject two people to a hilarious taste test. Come learn with us. Welcome to Collective Brew. This is episode two, part one of our experience with a home brewer named Cliff. He will be taking us around his kitchen and showing us how to craft a white IPA. So you will be hearing a lot of different sounds. Um, too bad you can't smell the lovely aromas, but either way, we hope you enjoy Cliff's enthusiastic attitude. He's a very great teacher. He taught us and really talked about each different process in this uh, beer brewing experience. So we hope that you learned something from this just like we did. Or maybe you already know what this is like. You already brew beer. You could maybe show this to somebody else um, and kind of teach them the process of crafting, you know, a really great white IPA. We hope you enjoy it. We hope you learn something and we hope you share it. All right, so what do we got going on here? Okay, so Where are we? Uh, Who are you and what's going on? Well, my name's Cliff, <laughs> um, and I'm a home brewer. I'm uh, here in my kitchen, uh, and in, we're in front of the stove, which is thankfully in front of the window because there's no air conditioning, right? Um, but um, on the stove, we have a big pot of water that is quickly turning into what we call wort, which is a, um, a mixture of water and dissolved sugars, mainly uh, malt sugar is what's used to make beer. But here today we're making a wheat beer, and so what I have in a muslin bag steeping in the water is actually two different types of wheat malts. Uh, one is a white wheat, which is kind of like just Canadian, it's like soft grain wheat, and then the other, uh, which has been slightly heated uh, in order to um, unlock some of the sugars that are inside, and then the other is just unmodified, just like regular old wheat berries. Um, they've been crushed up in a mill, and I put them in this bag, and now they're in steeping at water, which is a little, almost too hot at 170 degrees. So I have turned it all the way down. Uh, so hopefully, ideally we wanted it to be about 160 degrees, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a range, and it's not that, not that big of a deal. Um, so some things about uh, the philosophy uh, or the art or the science of brewing beer is that you can be as precise as you want or as unprecise. I mean, like at a certain point, the process starts breaking down if you really aren't paying attention to what's going on. But within certain temperature ranges, within certain times, you're going to make something. And, it's, and if you ferment it, it's going to be beer and it's going to taste pretty good. So... Um, how long does this process take you then? From um, start to finish. From start to finish, it depends on how involved I personally want to get in the process. There's a number of different styles of brewing. What we're doing right today is the very simplest version. I thought we'd kind of start easy today. We're doing something we call extract brewing. 
uh, which means that instead of me, the scientist coming in and using a kind of a, a fairly elaborate process uh, to extract the sugars from a whole like 10 pounds of, of grain, uh, I have let uh, industry and scientists in other parts of the world do that for me. And I bought these bags of malt sugar. They are kind of these three pound bags of uh, dissolved, you know, it's like, it kind of looks like powdered sugar, except for instead of sucrose, instead of uh, like corn sugar, it's malt sugar, maltose, which is, you know, different, different type of sugar. Uh, I don't know too much more about that. Um, and um, let's see, uh, where was I? I have a tendency to multitask while I'm in here in the kitchen, and so um, there's always something to be done. Um, once we get, um, so let the steep, you know, let the grain steep for uh, 20 or 30 minutes. We'll bring the kettle up to a boil and we'll uh, boil it generally for 60 minutes. Sometimes uh, beers brew for longer than that. Like a, you'll, you'll boil a, a beer for 90 minutes. Or if you've heard of like Dogfish Head's famous IPAs, they'll do it like 120 minutes. They're like, it's so crazy. Boiling. <laughs> You know, um, but within 60 minutes, the, it, what you do is the reason why you boil it is so that you, when you put the hops in the heat of the boil, it calls it isonomerization. It, it basically breaks down the, um, the bitterness in the hops and gives it that great bitter flavor that you can taste um, when you drink beer. I'm going to taste it. <laughs> My beer. <laughs> mm. So by using the plain wheat... Uh-huh. Uh, but how much time do you get to cut out of that process? Oh, at least um, at least an hour of solid time where the grains are what we call mashing. You put them in a mash tun, and you put a certain temperature. Like then, this is when it gets precise, right? So you have to put a, you know, it's exactly X temperature of the grains, and you you know that's that's the most basic. It's called a, a, a you know single infusion mash. Um, you can you can also do a multi-step mash where you start at a low temperature and you bring it up to a slightly higher temperature, bring it up to a slightly higher temperature, which unlocks certain the potential of the grains and you get all kinds of good flavors and sugars out of it. But um, uh, and then you know there's kind of prep time, cleanup time, and all types of other stuff. So um, uh, it can be mean that if you're doing a full uh, a full mash uh, where you're not getting any sugars from the grains it could take five or six hours just because you have all, got all, all kinds of stuff going on. Um, I don't usually do that. I usually use the kind of a partial mash method, which is I get some grain, some of the sugars from the grains and then usually throw in a bag of sugar to kind of even things out, right? <laughs> it's just if, brewing in your kitchen. Some, some guys, you know, maybe ladies too, have these huge apparatuses in their, in their garage where they kind of like roll out a big, and there's like multi-tiers with different burners and like hoses and tubes. You can probably find a photo of it, one on the internet. And, and it costs thousands and thousands of dollars. And, and Or you can be like me, like, I'm like the budget brewer. I'm like... Yeah, I got my cheap pot, like, you know, from China and, you know, a thermometer and, um, you know, you go to the beer store and you pick up some ingredients and um, it does tend to be a little bit more expensive to buy the bags of sugar because the processing, you have to pay a company, all that kind of stuff, you know, the, 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 uh, the premium, right? But 
yeah, you save two or three hours and a headache and that kind of stuff. And um, But once we get it up to a boil, we're going to start throwing in hops. We're doing a white IPA today. So we have um, a lot of um, strange ingredients, including um, uh, hops, which I can tell you about the hops we're going to be bittering. There are three different types of hops, and they pertain not necessarily to the name of the hop itself, but when you throw it in during the boil. If you throw it in at the very beginning of the boil, it's called bittering hops. And so it gives it the bitter note that I was telling you about. The longer it, it spins in the boil, the more bitter your, your beer will be, up to a certain point. And then it's like if you throw it in kind of in the middle, it's the flavor hops. And you get kind of the, some of the, the sweet herbal flavors from the hops. And then if you throw it in right at the end of the boil, you get, uh, it's, the, it's the aroma hops. And it's the, when you smell the beer, you're like, oh, it smells so fantastic. And then um, for this beer, we're also going to be, we're going to be doing uh, hops at all these different stages. We're going to be bittering, we're going to be flavoring, we're going to be aromaing. And then later, like seven days after you all have gone, you know, you're not here anymore, <laughs> I'm going I'm to do what we call dry hopping, which means I'm going to be adding an additional set of fresh hops to the beer it's from it's already fermented at that point and so it's just going to give it a ton of aroma and smell it's going to be fantastic um so we're bittering with warrior hops which is kind of a classic uh traditional bittering hop i like it a lot it's one of my favorite hops to use for bittering it has a nice clean flavor and it smells fantastic i have some out here you can smell it and you're like ooh. Oh, that's delicious. <laughs> And theoretically, if we wanted to a little bit later, we could open all, we're going to be opening all these bags of the other types of hops and we can do kind of like a smell test. I like to <laughs> kind of test myself. Can I tell the different strains of hops? Um, and then we're, we have Citra hops, which are really popular these days. There's a lot of beers that are being made with Citra. Um, Cascade, which is a kind of a classic American pale ale hop, uh, like Sierra Nevada pale ale uh, is all Cascade hops, kind of traditional. And then Centennial, which is another American-style uh, hop, um, but uh, not maybe as well-known as some of the other ones. There's some, there's some beers out there that aren't only Centennial. I think Founders does a Centennial IPA. Um, and at the end of the boil, since we're making a wheat beer, Bel we're going to be using Belgian yeast, and we're going to be making, adding coriander and orange peel also to the beer. So if it was a real Belgian wit beer, you wouldn't add all the hops, right? It would be very not hoppy. Uh, but, you know, here in the United States, we can do whatever the hell we want to. We have weird-ass <laughs> weird beers. And so we've mashed up two styles, which is the Belgian wit beer style and the IPA style. And so um, we've, I got my coriander seeds. We're going to crush those up in a bit, and we're going to zest some oranges that I have. And that's, like, right at the end of things, like, last five minutes of the boil. Uh, we also have a little bit of Belgian candy sugar because it's a Belgian beer and because I had it in the closet. <laughs> it's like you kind of look at your set of ingredients like, hmm, I want to I be efficient. I want to brew a beer, but I also have this. You know, I might as well use it. Or I have some hops left over from last time. I have like a fridge full of hops because I didn't know how much I really needed to brew this beer. And so I bought a bunch of extra bags. And so, hey, next time I brew, maybe it'll be you know, something different, but with similar hops or something. Um, but uh, maybe you all, maybe you have a question. Do you have a question, Ralph? <laughs> <laughs> I have all kinds of questions, yeah. but... Um, so I've never experienced this firsthand, so uh -huh. I'm learning. Good. Um, but I guess 
I mean, how long have you been doing this? Like, how do you get into this? Yeah, that's a really good question. I um, have been drinking beer for a long time. And um, I've always thought I was like, I think I'd heard a little bit and like somewhere back in my brain, it was like, oh, brewing beer, you could do that. That's like a thing that people do or something. <laughs> um, and um, about last, I guess it was last year, last January, maybe a little bit before that, maybe November of 2013, I was kind of feeling in a bit of a rut, like I needed a new hobby. And um, so I, I was thinking, oh, what can I do? And I was like, you know, oh, different hobbies. And, um, and nothing, I mean, it didn't immediately occur to me to brew beer. But then I was out in California, and my buddy Matt, a um, good friend of mine from, from high school, lived out in L.A. Now he lives up in Sacramento. But um, he brewed beer. He occasionally brews beer. And uh, when I was out there visiting him after Christmas time, he was like, oh, well, we can brew a batch of beer together. And I was like, oh, my God, that sounds amazing. I've never done it. Like, there, I feel like that there's this, um, there's this hurdle to get over. Like, until you've actually done it or seen it done or participated in it, uh, it seems really daunting. Right? Like, oh, my God. And it is, there is some capital investment at the front end. You have to spend a lot, maybe probably a little bit less than 200 bucks, 150 bucks on equipment. Um, in order to kind of do it right the first time. And um, so I brewed with him out in California, and I was like, this is crazy easy. This is so easy. <laughs> and so I came back after that, and I started brewing. So I haven't been brewing very long. A lot of people, you know, have been brewing a lot longer than me. Um, you know, something to my credit is that I do brew frequently. I brew two to three times a month, sometimes more. Around three is my is my average, which means that, I guess at this point I probably I brewed like 50 or 60 different batches of beer, uh, which means that you have a lot of like, and it's a five gallon batch you're brewing, which is roughly translates into 50 bottles of beer. You usually get a little bit less, 45 bottles of so beer. So this, what we're doing right now is going to be about? About 45 bottles of beer, which is nice, you know? What do you do with all of I know, that's really good. <laughs> I drink some of it, you know. Times a month? I know, it, it, and if and if I and if I drank it all myself, it'd be like I'd be like that guy with the huge beer <laughs> belly, you know. And uh, you see those guys sometimes at the beer tasting contests or at the bar, and you, you know, you're just like you you drink a lot of beer. Um, and genetically, I think I'm predisposed to having the beer belly. If you look at all my uncles, you know, they're like <laughs> like that. So um, mainly, uh, I have a lot of industrious friends who come over and drink beer with me. Um, I was doing a, um, a kind of a club thing where people would come over and help me brew and then when they're bottle, you know, when you can take some home with you and you can help me bottle. Um, I have kind of toned things back lately because I uh, invested, well, my, my family, including my girlfriend, were so kind to purchase me a, for my birthday a kegerator with two, with two taps. And so now I've been kegging beer, which means that it stays fresh longer and it's just kind of cold. It's in my living room, and I can have kind of, which is nice because you can kind of have a half a beer. And it's like, I don't want a whole beer. That's just like a little too much. Like, when is a whole beer too much? But, <laughs> you know, you just kind of drink half a beer, and it's, and it's um, super easy. Or you can have people over and, you know, throw a big party, and you have kegs, and yeah. you don't have to worry. Or you, and the thing about it is that since it's a kegerator, I, I can go out to any of the fancy um, breweries around Chicago, Revolution Brewery buy, or Half Acre. Buy a keg you and, just yeah, get yeah. a keg for the party, that kind of stuff. But um, usually, I'm 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 <laughs> brew enough beer that it's usually my stuff that's on tap. And um, 
Yeah, uh, so that's how I got started. I mean, it's like the first couple times I brewed using recipes. Like, can they, you can go to the beer store and you can get kits. Right, a kit, and it has like all the different ingredients in it. Everything you'll need, like inside one little box. Right, as long as you have some other your kettle and that kind of stuff. So um, that was fun, and the beer tasted okay. Um, and uh, you know, but you know, back in the day, I wasn't paying too much attention, like to water quality and I'd be using just tap water which is okay the tap water in Chicago is okay um, but it has chlorine in it and so if you don't treat it specifically to get rid of the chlorine by either letting it sit out overnight which is super easy you just kind of let it um, go away <laughs> the chemical things happen and the water tastes better or you can boil it ahead of time and let it cool but that's pretty kind of, I mean, it takes a lot of, to boil five gallons of water. Sure. So, um... How did you, how, how do you go about picking out the ingredients? Do you just... That's a great question. If you want to come over, you can see my beer calculator. Oh, my goodness. So, before, if you follow, if you follow a recipe, you can just kind of follow the recipe, or you can make your own. Here, let me see if I can get this thing to turn back on. And I use a program online. It's a free online program. Um... and called brew toad they used to be i think like homebrew calculator used to be i don't know anyways it's a free it's not great but um it certainly does the the ticket and what it does is it i plug in certain fermentables which are all the different extracts and and grains that i'm planning on using i put in the hops and when i'm when i want to to um you know throw them into the boil and i can adjust it here and then i tell it what yeast i'm going to use and what kind of extra and it basically over here it generates oh there time yeah and then it generates our um og which is the original gravity which is kind of like how uh, sugary the 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 mix will be uh and then estimates the finishing gravity of like uh like after it ferments how much how much sugar is going to be left in it how dense the liquid is going to be the ibus which is the um uh, international bittering units. I always want to say international be beer units. I don't know. <laughs> that's how bitter it is. Um, SRM, which is a color scale to see how dark the beer is. Mm -hmm. And then ABV, it calculates out how, what, what your, your alcohol percentage is going to be. So it does, a, it does a lot of work. So if you can, you can kind of sit in there and move things around if that's you want, really it. You want the IBUs to go up. You're like, oh, I'm going to put things more towards the beginning of the boil and... Uh, okay, so I'm uh, passing that bowl over there. So we're gonna like just like kind of let this drip drain a little bit, and then we'll pop that in there. It'll be a little hot, so you may want to hold it from the other side, yeah, from the little handle or something like that. Okay. And so good. Okay. Where did this go? Oh, just in the sink is fine. I'll, I'll get rid of it later. Do something with it later. So we're gonna turn up the heat. And since we're gonna boil it, I'm just gonna throw in some hops. I'm gonna throw in the warrior hops now. You know, um, they call it like first wort, where you, you toss in the bittering hops early and it's just, it's easy. Sometimes it's like when you're heating up the water, it has a certain surface tension. And then if you throw in hops like right as it's about to start boiling, it gets like crazy and like explodes. And so it's a little easier just to throw in the, the first set of hops now. And as it heats up, they will unlock the delicious flavor. And we've got a little while before it heats up so we can relax a little bit. I'm just going to keep an eye on this, but it's not necessary. I mean, you don't need and to keep it. And how long does it stay like this? 
Well, um, until it gets up to 212 degrees. So, uh, and then, you know that happens because it's gonna, it's gonna start boiling and, and, and being all crazy. And then we'll come back and we will set the timer and let it time, you know, go for 40 minutes. <laughs> and then we'll start throwing, and then it was like the crazy time. It's like the closer to the end of the boil that it gets, <laughs> the fear you're like throwing and hops like crazy. You set the timer, like running over your crushing stuff and we're gonna be zesting oranges and all types of stuff. So, um, very exciting. uh, I yeah, or I, I better stretch. Oh uh, yeah. Something like that. So, um, over there, it's three different types, all sea hops. You seem to have sea names. Okay. So this is the Citra. This is the Cascade and this is the Centennial. So you could try to see if you could do a blind taste, a smell test. I don't know if I can. They smell remarkably the same. I did a smell test for um, when I brewed. I brewed a uh, um, a Bohemian Bavarian style lager a few uh, months ago when it was cold outside, and um, I used four different types of German and Czech hops. And I could tell the difference between those, but these ones are a little they, very re close. remarkably similar, which makes me think it's like so the aroma is similar, yet they do have different taste profiles when you get them in the beer. Yeah, Although you can, you can smell the difference. Yeah, that one's sweeter. That's the citra. It smells sweeter. This one smells a little mellower. I need to get back. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, let's not mix them up. <laughs> so that's the citra. I think it was. This is the mellow one. Yeah. Oh, uh, the sweet one. Yeah, sweet one. Citra. Very popular. It's actually copyrighted. It's like the genetic. It's like bred to be, and it's like the genetic code of Citra is owned by somebody, some company. But you know, I feel like I'm ingesting beer through my nose. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. mm, I like the smell of that Centennial. It's actually I didn't realize until I was cutting open the package. This is the very first time I've ever brewed with Centennial hops. Kind of excited. Oh, that smells good. Right. Mm. Cascade smells fantastic. Cascade is an incredibly popular hop because it's just incredibly um, uh, rewarding to brew with. The flavor is fantastic. It's really stable. It's easy to grow. It's easy to package. It's easy to, it keeps its, um, uh, it holds the, 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 what they call alpha acids and beta acids. They're the things that break down in the, in the boil and give it the bitterness. It holds it longer than any of the other, uh, well, I don't know about any of the it, more than some of the other hops, which are less stable. Mm. So, a lot of people like it. Yeah, I don't it know. Really okay. <clears throat> I'm going to blow my nose, and then I'm going to have you test me to see if I can okay. tell which one is which. Sounds perfect. <laughs> okay, I'm going to close my eyes, and you just blow my <laughs> Okay, close my eyes. One second, close. And uh, just hold one up to my nose and see if I can tell, tell which one it is. Uh, I cheated. Don't don't let it touch my don't tell it touch my face because then I can tell I, that was the cascade right no no ah <laughs> okay cheating didn't help apparently okay okay ready okay I'm ready um that <laughs> that's the I'm just gonna guess that's the centennial nope nope okay give me one more see if I can guess is that the same one. No. Uh, they all smell the same. <laughs> okay. So it's hard sometimes to tell 
them apart. <laughs> Wait, I want to I want to try one more time. Okay. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay. All right, ready. Oh, I need to I need to I'll, I'm going to test them and then I'm going to I'm going to see. I'm going to get a real big whiff. Okay. Real real big. <laughs> <laughs> you really should have like coffee in between each smell. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Is this the citra? I got I don't know if it got mixed up. Yeah, that's Sweet. the citra. So I can tell that one, at least. These two are almost indistinguishable. The Centennial and Cascade are uh, are pretty close, apparently, in smell. Okay, now... <clears throat> one, two, or three. Okay, I'm going to test me now. I just smell the beer brewing. <laughs> Can't tell. I can't tell. <laughs> Let's try one more. Let's try. <laughs> okay. Okay, let me start. Maybe you gotta do a taste test. Oh, yeah, that's definitely the Citra. Yeah. That one. Hey, I got one. Hey, that was the easiest one. Okay, the only one that smells different than the other two. Well, okay. Let's stir this. So you can come over and take a look at the boil. Um, so you can see it's a lot darker now. I added the malt sugars. And so it's quite a bit darker than it was before, um, but it's actually um, going to be into being a really light colored beer. It looks a little dark now. Some of the proteins are going to settle out, um, but uh, I made it. I made a, uh, a an oatmeal stout a couple of months ago, and that thing was so dark. Oh man, it was delicious. Wish I had a bottle to share with you. But guess what? Drank it all. <laughs> Didn't give much of that one away, but. Um, uh, and uh, we are about 15 minutes away from adding the next set of hops, uh, um, which will be the flavor hops. And we're going to add a half ounce of each of the Citra, the Centennial, and the Cascade. And we'll let that um, simmer in the pot for another 15 minutes. And then we'll add coriander which I need to crush up and then we need to peel or uh, zest some oranges I hope we have enough oranges we'll zest however many oranges <laughs> that we have and uh, then they go in at five minutes and we're actually going to add a little bit of yeast nutrients in order to kind of give the just in case there's not enough there should be plenty of proteins and all kinds of great stuff for the the yeast to eat as it as it, it kind of like helps it consume the sugars but we'll help it along just in case. And, uh, and then at, at the end of 60 minutes, we'll turn it off and we'll rapidly cool it using a device called a wart chiller. I'll show it to you. It's pretty cool. It's made out of copper. You all know copper because it transfers um, heat really well. It's, uh, super, it's like one of the most conductive materials. And so it's this cool, I'll like make some noise with it. Yeah, yeah you can hear it. Uh, but it's cop it's basically a, a, a big copper coil connected to some plastic tubing, which we will hook it up to the um, faucet and run cold water through it, which looks a little grungy actually. Let me clean it. Um, which will hopefully rapidly cool the the wart, and I don't know, it takes about twenty minutes, something like that. But, cool. Yeah. I'm gonna scrub this. Okay. <laughs> Hey, I'm searching here. for a half teaspoon measuring. Okay, I got a fourth of a teaspoon. I'll just do two of them. I'm going to add some yeast nutrient. Uh, a little bit time sensitive, but we're just going to we're going to add a little yeast nutrient to give it a little bit of a boost. 
This isn't going to matter too much right now, uh, but when it's in the fermenter in a, in a, in a couple of days, it's just going to have like extra, extra proteins and like other random shit that the beer needs to taste really good. Um, and then I've got an ounce and a half of a freshly peeled uh, orange. I'm going to toss in. Just the skin. Just the skin. You don't want even even the, the like the white pith. It's it's too bitter. Um, but then this is a, a a half an ounce of coriander, which is maybe too much, but you know it's okay. It'll be okay. Oh, and then we're gonna let that go for literally three minutes. Out of curiosity, what yeah. would happen if you put like ground coriander in there? Yeah, um, one, it would be really hard to get out. Like it would. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't used, like, totally powdered, um, oh, oh it's starting, it smells fantastic. Um, I've never used powdered, uh, um, seasonings or spices in, in beer before, but you could theoretically do it, um, but it would probably have a, a much more intense flavor. I mean, even with a, a, a half, a, a half an ounce of coriander, that's a lot of coriander, um, coriander in the beer, it does give it a citrusy flavor, but sometimes it can be a little overwhelming or like cloying, right? Um, but, uh, it's also going to be really hoppy. And so the hoppy, hoppiness should balance some of the spicy flavor as well. That's why I put in a bunch of orange peel. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't think most people don't use the, use powdered because... Here, um, it would be hard to get out of your fermenter. It would end up, you might end up with a little bit of it in, in the bottle and that kind of stuff. With, with just like a barely crushed, what we did is we took the coriander seeds and we put them in a plastic bag and just um, uh, used a rolling pin to crack them. And so, they're, so they're, they're not just like the whole seed, which might not be totally flavorful, but they're cracked open to get access to that inner core that's so tasty, but... Uh, not so, not so much that it's powdered, but I guess you could, you could though. You'd just use a lot less than a half an ounce. So, oh my God, this is going to be so good. You're going to have to come back over and, and drink some of this with oh me. Oh my gosh, I wish this was smaller. And more hops. All right. That's the bell for more hops. More hops. Okay. Take some. Here, some hops. Oh, you got, pour, yeah. pour those in. All right. Okay, I'm pouring them in. What am I Citra hops. I think I, I just poured in the cascade. Uh, a cascade of hops. Oh, that's really cute. All right, and, and Centennial. Ooh, all right, and we got two more minutes on the boil. And we'll be... Oh, look at that color. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It kind of looks like swamp. I, I, I brewed a beer once that had so many hops in it. I called it kind of a swamp, swamp beer. But uh, I'm also going to, at the same time, since we have a couple minutes left, I'm going to pop in the um, wort chiller so that the boiling action of the beer will um, kill off any types of bacteria that may have been on the wort chiller in here. The boil cools down a little bit. Okay. But it looks kind of like your... I don't know what that looks like. I mean, probably something gross, but... It, but it smells so it fantastic. It smells amazing. And it, I, th this is what I was saying to 
Um, you know, uh, a couple of days ago, either via email, I think it was via, via text or something like that. I said, it was like, I wish you had smell-o-vision. Oh my gosh. So because it's like, that's the process. It's not that, yeah, it looks great and we can talk about it, but the smell of the, of the wart as it's, as it's boiling on the stove is just. It's amazing. Uh, especially because we put the coriander and the, the orange peel. Yeah. In, you in, can definitely smell the orange peel. In oh here. my God. And just wait till you can taste it. It's going to be. It's going to be kind of frothy in your glass. There's a bunch of beers that... Oh, and here, and here we're done. I'm going to turn off that. I'm going to put the kettle, the top on the kettle. And I'm going to need uh, access over here. Sure thing. Uh, yeah, it's outside. Okay. Uh... All right, so now we're sticking this entire thing into the yeah. Mental note, get bigger sinks. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not so much that you need a bigger sink, but um, you got to make sure that you have the right, so, so you're going to see, so I'm taking the, the faucet top and I'm unscrewing the normal head that goes on and I purchased this, this different threaded screw, basically, a threaded nozzle or whatever. And then that matches up to my other brass piece here. And the first couple, first gallon of water basically that comes off of this is just like, get some of that audio. <laughs> so, yeah. oh, right. so it's going to be just like hot as can be. It's like, you wouldn't want to take a shower in that hot water. But um, after a while it's going to cool down. And because I'm very ecologically conscious, I mean, it's like brewing beer is a really water intensive process. Um, you know, you're using water not only for the beer itself, but you're also using a lot of water to clean all your equipment. I mean, sanitation is incredibly important, making sure that all the devices that come in contact with the beer, especially at this stage, when it's all sugar, and I bacteria would love to get in there and just eat, the, eat all your sugar, and what bacteria you want to get in there is actually yeast, not technically a bacteria, but you want the yeast to eat up the sugar and not some nasty germ that's going to turn your beer into slime. And, um, but so, uh, you know, it's a water-intensive process. Running water through this wart chiller, we can run, like, literally 20 gallons of water through the wart chiller, and it just goes down the drain, mm -hmm. right? Or... Alternatively, I'm going to open up this closet door. I'm going to grab out. I've got a bunch of jugs and bottles that I use to reserve the water from the wort chiller. And actually, I use this I use this water to then brew more beer in the future, or I use it to uh, clean the equipment. And so, ideally, I like to think that I'm reducing a little bit of the impact of, of brewing beer here in the Great Lakes. We don't give a damn. We've got all the fresh, <laughs> we have literally one, one like quarter, well, I think it's one fifth, one fifth of the fresh water in the world. Right. Like, not just like in the United States, like literally the entire world, one fifth of all the fresh water access to. But places like California and many other places around the country, you know, are facing drought, water shortages, and, you know, we see a, a brewery like Lagunitas, a big world-class beer brewery saying, 
uh, I don't think we can brew in California anymore. And so they moved their production facility here to Chicago. Yeah, they brew some still in California, but um, uh, yeah, I'm guessing over the course <laughs> of the next few years, it'll be slowly more and more that Lagunitas is a Chicago brewery rather than a California brewery. It already, it already almost is. You can look at their labels and you'll see whether it's brewed in Chicago or in um, California. So. Right, right, yeah. Okay, okay more jugs. This is a secondary fermenter. You can't see it. Maybe you'll take a photo of it. This is, it's a pretty, it's a beautiful glass jug. Holds five gallons. And what we'll do with this beer um, after um, it's fermented in the primary fermenter, which is behind you there, that plastic jug. It'll ferment in there for about seven days. And it'll like be all crazy and bubbling and the yeast will eat the sugar and turn it into, by via magic, right? I mean, some type of magical process turns it into alcohol. And it'll calm down, and once it calms down, we transfer it to the secondary fermenter, which allows to clarify the beer. A lot of the excess haziness will fall off. Well, this is a wheat beer, and so a bunch of the haziness isn't gonna fall off, but it also allows us to dry hop, and so this is where we're gonna put in a couple of bags of, um, we're gonna put in a bag of Citra, a bag of Centennial, and a bag of Cascade hops, and um, it's gonna impart all kinds of ridiculous flavor to the to the beer. The and after, stage. yeah, exactly. That's the final stage in the fermenter. And then after about another seven days, we'll transfer it out of there. And depending on where I am in my process, either it'll go into a keg so I can drink it out of the keg, or we'll bottle it. Um, and then, <laughs> and then <laughs> ten days repeat, after repeat. that. I mean, yeah. One of the things about about brewing beer is that it's not one. It's not. There's no instant gratification. You can't just like brew beer one day and drink it that evening, right? It just doesn't happen. You can't. So you have to be able to pace yourself and accept the fact that it's going to be a little while before you can taste it. Uh, okay, so. Oh, son of crap. See, this is where I like, I like start having fun and have a beer or two, and I forget that I need a thermometer in the, in the wart because I want it to get down to fermentable temperatures, which is around 70 degrees. Eh, but you can, you can kind of hedge it. If it gets down to 80, that's, that's probably okay. And, um, you know, since you're dropping it, trying to drop it from boiling to 80 or 70 degrees, um, that takes a long time. But see, it's only been in there for, what is it, about five minutes maybe at most? Mm -hmm. Something like that? And it's, and it's already dropped, you know, 100 degrees or something like that. So it has a really rapid drop, you know, using the wart chiller. And then it takes a long time to drop the last 40 or 30 degrees. And so we'll let it sit. We'll run off a bunch of water. And, um, and, you know, I'd like to hear from maybe some of your listeners are water experts or temperature, I don't know what you call it, engineers or something <laughs> like that. And I want to know, this is the question I want answered, is that should I run the water through the wart chiller slowly, right, because you want the water to pass through the copper coil at a time where the maximum amount of heat is transferred across the, the copper membrane into the into the you know excess water, or do you want to run it fast because that means colder water is running through it, and that means that more 
temperature is being sucked off into into your into your uh, I don't know jugs or so whatever like that. So here's what we'll do with that. Yeah. Um, that's a fantastic question, and whoever tweets us the answer uh-huh. first, <laughs> the correct answer, no, we, yeah. I should say, um, at Collective Brew. That's Collective, and then B R W. Um, we'll send them a, a special gift. Cool. From one of the breweries that we visited. So whoever gets us the answer first, the right answer, um, to how the best, you know, the best process to get water through that membrane and cool down the wart. And there better be an answer with a Y. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, a Y. We need explanation. Explain the why. Diagrams help also. <laughs> you know, it, it's got to be some type of mathematical calculation and, you know, uh, um, you know this. I'm a political scientist. I, 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 I love beer, and I, I know a fair amount about the kind of the politics of water and the politics of beer. But I, I can't really speak to any type of much, much of the chemical uh, side of the equation. I've, I've switched out the first four-gallon jug, and, and we're now on to the second four-gallon jug, and we're down to 110 degrees. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's a relatively slow drop. I'm gonna also probably. Maybe turn down the water a little bit. Yeah, I, I, uh, I ended up about a year ago building my own mash tun so that I could do a little bit more of an advanced style of, of, of brewing. Um, and, and, you know, I, I got into it because uh, I said, oh, it's, you know, I, I checked some DIY online videos and it seemed pretty easy. And I was like, I want to go to this next stage. And I went to this next stage and I was like, holy crap. This is a lot more intense than doing <laughs> extract brewing. Extract brewing is easier. Like, I'm going to get the water up to temperature, and I'm going to throw in some bags of sugar. And so um, it's, it's a much, like I said before, it's like it's how, how far do you want to go? How involved do you want to get into the process? I know a lot of people who are really advanced, you know, who have been brewing for years and years. I've met them at brewing conventions or something like that or brew contests and they still use extract because they because of the equipment space right they live in the city you can't you don't have a garage sorry you can't have you know 10 feet worth of equipment and hoses in order to right yeah so uh, maybe the suburbans have an edge on the on the the (laughs) urbans for for brewing process but um But uh, yeah, I learn stuff every every single time I brew. This is the first time I've ever um, tried a mashup of styles where you know the Belgian style is supposed to be very hop, you know, light on hops and lots of those kind of spices at the end of the things. And the American styles of IPA is hops, 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 and then more hops, and then they think you're done. And you're <laughs> so this is this is a kind of a blend of both, where it's not nearly as hopped as it could be, right? It's not nearly as hopped as has a lot of American IPAs. But um, what uh, it does is it gives you, I think it's going to be a fantastic summer beer, right? Because I like, I like IPAs during the summer, but at a certain point, you, can only, you, can't, you can't keep drinking them. You know, that's why they started, a lot of breweries have started releasing these things called session IPAs. Right, They're right. like, not quite as intense it's as... It's not half the... Uh, yeah. It's not, the alcohol's lower, the hop, it, because... You know, the, the hoppiness of the beer depends a lot on the um, alcohol content of the beer. So you'll see a beer like... Um, Half Day. What's that? Half Day. 
half day is, and and uh, um, it'll have a ton of hops in it, and um, but it'll also be really high in alcohol. These like double IPAs or imperial IPAs, whatever you want to call them, and. You know, it's because you want to match up. It's like the more sugar that's in the beer, the more alcohol content, you also want it to be bitterer, right? And also there's some balance to be made. Whether The darker the beer, you also want a little bit more hops to balance it out. So it's like you look at a beer like Guinness, very popular, you know, and um, it actually is relatively hoppy for uh, considering how mild it is when you drink it. You don't, when you drink it, you don't be like, oh, it's really bitter, oh. But it's about as bitter as a pale ale. Which, when you drink it, is like you're like, Ooh, right? Uh, because it's like so you t can taste the bitterness. Um, but um, uh, you know, so there's some. That's this is this is why having something like a calculator is really important, so that you don't just kind of willy nilly go into the process and be like, I'm gonna throw a bunch of stuff in, or it's like I'm gonna make it really alcoholy and not have enough hops to balance it out. I did that once. I accidentally added an extra three pounds of malt sugar, like an entire bag of malt sugar, to some uh, French-style beer I was making, a Saison, last summer. And uh, <laughs> and it ended up being an Imperial Saison, but it didn't it didn't have enough hops to kind of match things out and even it out and tone the beer so that it um, so that it tastes excellent, right? right. It's easy to make. Uh, what, this is my motto, and this is one of the mottos of the Sipping Spaniel beers, is that we, you know, it's easy to make good beer it's really freaking hard to make excellent beer yep. and so hey i make good beer i don't i don't try to uh be too uh anal about it <laughs> Ooh, sorry i'm uh, like a jerk about it right so, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you're happy with your end product the uh, I am never satisfied personally. Um, I like all the beers that I make except for the shitty ones. Um, <laughs> there was a run I had in January and February. I don't know what I was doing wrong. I, I thought a lot about it. It the beer wasn't contaminated with the bacteria, but it had a lot of off flavors, and I think it came from the mash process I was using and the mash temperature I had was was too high and it was extracting tannins from the husk of the grain and it was giving me some off flavors and even though it extracted some off flavors it didn't bad I one of my beers um, got rated 35 out of 50 at a at a um, local beer contest and I mean this didn't win any awards some of the you know people who've been brewing longer won won the awards but 35 out of 50 is not terrible I mean, it's not like a beer that you just throw down and like this is trash <laughs> right you know something like that but uh, um, it always drives you to do better. I taste the beer and I say, well, it's good. How could it be better? How could I tweak it? Um, and a lot of it comes from time. A lot of beers taste better um, depending on when you drink them. So an IPA or a pale ale is really time sensitive. You want to drink it before the flavor goes away. All the aromas will die out. Right? So you brew a really fancy IPA, you want to drink it within a couple of months of making it. I drank an IPA uh, almost, I don't know, probably about 10 months after I made it, and guess what? It tasted like crap. didn't have any flavor. It didn't have any aroma. It lost all of those sensitive chemicals, uh, the esters and the hop aroma. And um, 
you know, whereas other beers like uh, dark beers tend to sit longer well, beers without a lot of hops like uh, um, German style or French style, Belgian style, they can sit for years. And in fact, other if, if you add other bacterias like uh, Bretomyces, uh, which is a particular, hey, it's a bacteria, mm-hmm. uh, but they use in beer brewing and, and particularly Belgian styles, they can, they can age like wines 25 years and you drink the beer and it tastes just phenomenal. Something like that. I have not. I have not yet uh, gotten so far as to try the the weird funky beers. Although I really want to. It's my next. It's my next goal uh, um, in my in my brewing process. I guess <laughs> this month. Pressure. This month, August, uh, maybe September, something like that, to do some do some funky beers. They're so in style. This this is like a couple of years ago. Um, you know, a couple like a decade ago, a couple years ago, it was IPAs are like the only big thing. Then it's double IPAs as the as the huge thing, and then uh, you know what else? Saisons were really big about two years ago, and now it's the um, Gosa style goo. People call it goose or um, Berliner Weiss is a kind of a light a light um, uh, sour beer, uh, but the Belgian sours they don't they don't have names where it's not like a style. It's like Belgian beer. They're all weird. Taste weird. <laughs> you know, something like that. So, um, yeah, maybe the next time you stop by, we'll have some weird beers to drink or something <laughs> oh, like that. Okay, so we've got a couple of gallons of fresh, clean water in the fermenter. Uh, and Much, as many bubbles going on as I can right now to air uh, to uh, aerate the wort. There's a bunch of yeast. Uh, I mean, um, trub coming, coming, gonna come in. I'm just gonna go ahead and put it all in. I know it smells so good. Okay, that's enough. No, okay, and then how many gallons do you think we've got in there? A lot. <laughs> a lot. We've got about almost five gallons, which is pretty good. We didn't lose too much in uh, um, the uh, in the boil, but I want to get it up to at least five and a half gallons because we're going to lose a lot of volume because there's so much, so much hops uh, and all kinds of random crap, and there's going to be a bunch of yeast in there too. So you're just topping it off. Basically, water. just topping it off with uh, fresh water. Um, ideally, I would have made sure that there's no bacteria in the water by boiling it or something like that, but good lord, you can't do everything. Um, and what we've got here is a bag uh, from Y Yeast. It's um, uh, Y Yeast number 3522, Belgian Ardennes, which is uh, Belgian style yeast. It should have a nice uh, fruity flavor. It should give us a lot of um, great esters, which are the kind of yeast and uh, um, created um, aromas and flavors, and we're just gonna kind of get it in there, and that should be good. Okay, cool. Hey, so complicated, right? Well, seeing some stuff happen. <laughs> and then the last thing we're gonna do, I probably should have done this right before um, I put the yeast in, but sometimes I forget. I get excited. I want to put the yeast in. I'm going to use my hydrometer, which is a tool, 
and I'm going to take the original gravity reading to see how dense, how sugary this liquid is. You kind of give it a spin sometimes to shake off the bubbles. And it's looking pretty high, right? We're almost at six something. Let's see if we can get a better reading. So we look at the beer listing, which is right here. I don't know if you can see it. There's like, it's also usable for, for wine and other beverages, mead or ciders or something like that. So we're, we're like, I find something. This is one of the more annoying parts of the, it's like not a really great way to read the. And then you just kind of have to estimate using your scientific rationality uh, to, to see. I think it's like right at six, which is higher than we expected. It's a couple points higher than, than what we expected. So we're just going to say 1.06 as the original gravity. And then is what we do is we pop, pop the lid on. We get this nice little thing. This is an airlock. Basically, it seals out any types of foreign airborne bacteria. Um, and pop it on there. And I just put it in the closet. <laughs> and we're done, right? And yay. then, uh, <laughs> yay! Huzzah! We've got, uh, uh, it'll, it'll make beer for us in a couple days kind of nice and cool. The, the temperature is really stable in the closet. Do I you do... want to leave it in a cool... Like how, how cool yeah, for the most part, it depends on the the, um, the type of yeast you're using. There's two different types of yeast, ale yeasts and lager yeasts, which correspond to two different types of beers, ales and lagers, right? Um, and um, ales can generally stand higher temperatures for fermentation. And some of the Belgian and French styles, the Saison styles, can be, can be fermented uh, at a temperature like 80 degrees. But it doesn't go much higher than that. So if your ambient temperature in your room is 90 degrees, if it's a blazing hot day, it's like you're going to have to worry about the beer unless you're brewing a Saison. Um, uh, lager beers like it really, really cold. And so you ferment them at 40 or 50 degrees for a couple of days and then you drop the temperature down to as close to freezing as you can get. You have to have a cooler, or you put it outside during the winter. That's how, that's how I lager beers, really scientific. Um, and you just pop it outside and hope it doesn't freeze. Um, and if it's like, if you like look at the, you like look at the temperature, like, oh, it's gonna be really freaking cold in Chicago tomorrow. Like I'm gonna br bring the beer inside for an evening or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, this, this yeast, I can't, I guess I can look at the package. It'll tell us uh, exactly the temperature range um, for, no, it's kind of more of a generic package. I could look online at the Y yeast website and it'll tell me, um, uh, it says oxygenated wort up to 0 0.06, which is exactly where we were, at uh, 65 to 72 degrees. So roughly that's the range you want for most ales. Like I said, if you can get like some of the yeasts, you can get up to 80 degrees. But And it's like if you get it up to 80 degrees, it's going to produce some funky flavors. You might want funky flavors. And so sometimes 80 degrees is good, but as a general rule,
whole 60 degrees is the best, right? Kind of nice middle of the road. You don't have to worry about it. And in there, I don't know what it is. What it's, <laughs> it's probably fairly warm in here. It's probably 75 degrees in here. And in the closet, it's probably a little cooler or something like that. So. What is your favorite part of this conference? Gosh, uh, I do like drinking the beer. <laughs> uh, besides the drinking, the process itself. Um, um, gosh, that's hard. I certainly don't like cleaning up after all of this. Um, I love the smell of the hops. I love adding the different hops at different times. I love the kind of quasi-scientific feel I get by measuring temperatures. And that gives me enough of like, this like this kid with the science kit, you know, the chemistry experience. Like experience. A little bit, a little bit like, whoa, I can make great. And, uh, you know, you can do fun things like I, I, I'm a bit of a nerd. And so I'll, I'll, I'll sometimes I'll listen to audiobooks and I'll like name the beer after the audiobook I'm listening to while I'm breathing. As I was listening to, uh, um, Call of Cthulhu, the yeah. HP Lovecraft <laughs> brewing a, uh, an Imperial Stout and named it a Cthulhu Imperial Stout. And that, that will get you, you know, it is, it is amazing. I actually have one bottle of it left. I need to brew some more but yeah so so it's fun things you can do like that like I, I just um I, I don't know I don't try not to be too pretentious about it I know I'm no expert at, at, at brewing some people have been doing it for decades now and they're and they're you know better than the the the, the best commercial brewers and and you know but it's a hobby it's something that keeps uh, me occupied a couple of days uh, uh, a month I like to look in my open up my closet, look at all the bottles I have, or you know, come home after a hard day's work and be able to pour some of my own beer. I get to like pour my own beer, and I sit and this is like mine. I made this. It's very visceral. It's very, <laughs> very, uh, um, I don't know, human. I guess something like that. That that I get to enjoy the the my own labor, you know, in in sudsy beer form, <laughs> delicious soppy flavor and all that. So yeah, no, that's. Nothing. <laughs> well, thanks so much for showing us this process. I know we've started in a little bit late, but either way. You missed most of the boring stuff, which was cleaning, mainly this, cleaning. This place <laughs> so, smells amazing. Yeah, yeah. I know. We yeah. should smell a vision, right? And we need to just just smell a radio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so that way you can smell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are tons of great books and manuals online. There's um, web forums that answer pretty much any question you could ever imagine. Um, brewing shops all over the country who do demos and will take you through the process. Uh, and, you know, what's better than to, to try and then fail <laughs> to, and then try again, right? Something like that. Um, but uh, uh, it is easier than it might seem at the, you know, from the, you know, unenlightened perspective. But also, you know, it's as challenging as you want to make it. <laughs> well, next time we get together, we'll be trying yeah, Absolutely. a couple um, weeks. And I'm very excited for that. Yeah, Me too. yeah. And so, a little bit more about you and your process. And okay. And who you are. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm Cliff, and uh, I call it Sipping Spaniel Beers because that's my dog is a Spaniel. And <laughs> he doesn't drink any beer, but, you know, he's super cute. <laughs> and so that's just, that's just what we do around here. So. Hello again, and thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. We had so much fun with Cliff, and we had so much fun making it. Stick around for part two, which will be the taste test of this beer, which will be coming in the next few weeks. So 
that will be happening and we're pumped for it because that beer smelled delicious and I'm sure it tastes delicious. Either way, if you know the answer to Cliff's question that he asked, please contact us on Twitter at Collective Brew, that's Collective BRW, or contact Cliff on Instagram, Sipping Spaniel Beers. If you'd like to see more about this episode, pictures, or video, you can go to our Instagram. It's also Collective Brew, Collective BRW. You can listen to episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, or you can go straight to the source, PersephoneMedia.com. We hope you enjoyed this, and we hope you enjoy part two. Thank you.